When it comes to threat detection and response, what can the government learn from private enterprise? Hi, I'm Tom Field, Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. I'm discussing this topic today with Wade Woolwine. He's a manager with Rapid7 Global Services. Wade, thank you so much for joining me today. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on. So, Wayne, it used to be that government agencies were the number one target for external hackers as well as the number one investigator and source of threat intelligence. Well, how has that dynamic changed in recent times? Well, certainly that's changed a lot, especially in the last decade or so, where the attack groups uh, are no longer solely interested in government secrets. Uh, They are also interested in targeting private enterprises, typically for the purposes of industrial espionage. But even within that category, we've seen some of these attack groups go a little bit broader and a little bit wider in their desire um, and in their their pursuit uh, to breach environments. It is not uncommon nowadays uh, for uh, private organizations, private investigative organizations such as Rapid7 to be called in to deal with some of these investigations uh, where the attack groups have typically targeted government entities but have decided to spread their wings into private enterprise. Now, the interesting piece is that when you consider the threat intelligence, I would still consider the government being uh, amongst the the premier sources for threat intelligence simply because of their involvement in law enforcement. Uh, There's been a lot of interest from government in pursuing some of these uh, these crimes and these perpetrators, Uh, so they still do have some of the best threat intelligence out there, but I'd say from, from a target perspective and an investigative perspective, the private sector has certainly caught up, if not exceeded, the government in those arenas. So, Wade, in light of recent government security incidents, and we've had a couple of high-profile ones, which security gaps do you feel have been exposed? That's a, that's a very interesting question. I'd say primarily around being able to detect uh, malicious actors on the network But even within that subcategory of security, there's so many other implications that come into how you're able to detect these attackers um, that it's really a a broad um, suite of various security controls uh, that have have failed uh, in in all essence. When you consider that the majority of these incidents begin with a spear phishing email, that really uh, falls under user education. When you consider that once the attackers are in an environment um, and they're basically free to move around as they see fit, there is some some concept of administrative controls and just a general user account um, sanitation that isn't taking place there. And then certainly when they're able to access some of the most sensitive data that either the government or the private sector is holding, there is certainly some, some need to better control who has access to that information um, and uh, restrict it uh, on a need-to-know basis instead of the traditional approach of, well, if you're trusted within the walls, then you can access this data. So we talked a few minutes ago about the changing roles of the private and the public sectors. Where would you say the private sector now actually has an edge I think now that the attackers are really impacting the private sector um, and we're able to get some of these incident response firms such as Rapid7 involved, we're able to better collaborate and collaborate, I suppose, with fewer blocks and walls uh, than the government is able to. So the free exchange of information amongst uh, incident responders in the private sector is certainly greater 
Um, and then also with our ability to be a little bit more transparent with respect to sharing this information broadly, we're able to communicate a little bit more effectively with one another and devise better methodologies for both detecting and responding to these kinds of breaches. Um, historically, the government, um, rightfully so, is very uh, restrictive with how they share this information and who they share it with, uh, which of course really limits their ability to collaborate and come up with new solutions uh, that would help drive up those walls to keep the attackers out. So now that the rules have sort of changed a bit, where do you see that government agencies can best leverage strategies and solutions that are now developed in the private sector? I mean, certainly from a technology perspective, some of the technology that's born out of the collaboration that I was just talking about, things like technology that enable user behavioral analytics uh, or some of the threat intelligence around attacker behavior versus attacker tools uh, could really be beneficial for the government. But at its core, it's very difficult to monitor a network that in and of itself is very insecure. As we've seen with recent breaches, uh, it really doesn't take much for the attackers to get in and stay resident for long periods of time. That is not solely attributed to the ability to detect, but can also be attributed to the poor network design or the poor implementation of access control or the poor management of vulnerabilities or even the poor management of user accounts. Security is is really a castle. It needs to be built on strong foundations and all of the components that come into building a security program, components like user access management, vulnerability management, uh, threat prevention, threat detection, and threat response, those all play off of each other and they all feed off of each other. And if one of the rings or one of the uh, the bricks in that castle is not solid, the, the rest may crumble around it. Um, so it's very important to recognize that when we're talking about stopping these attackers, we're not just talking about strengthening uh, the ability to detect or strengthening the ability to respond. It's really strengthening the computing environment altogether, the network, the endpoints, and certainly the users. It strikes me that it all comes back to people, that we need access to the best and the brightest. Now, for years we've talked about the global security talents shortage, but government agencies are particularly constrained because of financial restraints. How do you see that they can work with the private sector to be able to enhance their talent? That's a very difficult question. Uh, certainly, whether we're talking private sector or public sector, talent acquisition is difficult. Um, it's not. It doesn't just all boil down to the amount of money that you can pay the people. It's really about being able to find those people and the resources that have an in-depth understanding of these advanced attackers, these targeted attack groups, are very few and far between. So there needs to be a lot of education that happens, both in the public and the private sector, so that resources that have a base understanding of technology can be built upon to make them prime responders, prime detectors, um, and, uh, and prime people that will be able to build stronger and better security programs going forward. Um, certainly, there are a lot of initiatives around threat intelligence sharing uh, between the public and private sector uh, that are being discussed these days, but I don't think that's enough. Threat indicators are not the end-all, be-all of detection, uh, simply because the attackers know, uh, as well as we do, all of the discussions that are going on around threat indicators. 
So they are using different uh, pieces of malware, different command and control channels when they're perpetrating these breaches, such that the threat, indi threat indicators are no longer valid. So I, I do see those efforts um, yielding some positive results, but I think greater collaboration, tearing down some of those confidentiality walls uh, between the, the government and the, the talent that is out in the private sector is absolutely critical in order to push back some of these attackers in order to collaborate a little bit better. Um, I know from my perspective and certainly from the Rapid7 side, uh, we happily collaborate with law enforcement and government on these investigations. For us, it's absolutely critical uh, that we be transparent with the folks that are ultimately going to be responsible for bringing these guys to justice and making them pay uh, for, for the uh, illegal acts that they perpetrated. Wait, let's look, at, look ahead a bit to 2016. In terms of threat intelligence, what do you see as the best sources for sharing and receiving intelligence? Uh, that, again, is another very difficult question. Uh, there are lots of organizations uh, within the public, within the private sector, and certainly within the government, there are lots of different silos where threat intelligence is generated, um, and I have not yet seen uh, any common platform uh, that might be used for everyone to collaborate. However, uh, some of the legislation that's making it through Congress today may potentially pave the way for organizations such as Rapid7 to be able to collaborate closer with the government, to be able to collaborate closer with law enforcement, such that we do have the ability of sharing some of this threat intelligence. I'm certain that the government has lots of indicators uh, that are not known out in the public sector but vice versa, I also know that there are a lot of indicators that the public sector is going to have uh, that the government may not have access to. So looking into 2016, I still see a very rocky road um, for how we're going to be able to more effectively collaborate on threat intelligence sharing. Uh, but I think that the work being done by Congress today uh, is certainly paving the way for us to be able to have a more meaningful discussion and better collaboration about how we might achieve those goals. And Wade, one final crystal ball question. As you look ahead, how do you see private and public sector organizations alike having to reshape their security programs to tackle the emerging threats? Well, I've certainly uh, talked a little bit about the, um, the threat intelligence being a little bit more difficult or a little less effective at detecting uh, some of these advanced threats, some of these targeted attacks. Um, and I certainly see this being a problem going forward. Uh, too many organizations are, are entirely too dependent on the threat intelligence. And the reason being is because it is a, a fairly cheap endeavor to identify threats that are already known by the community. Uh, but again, to reiterate what I said earlier, the attackers know what is going on in the security industry. They know that there is a huge push for threat intelligence. And as a result, their own methodologies are changing. Uh, what I typically recommend that our customers do in order to prepare and appropriately react to the shift is to make sure that they're investing in being able to search for the unknown threats in their environment. And by that, I mean implementing uh, some form of user behavioral analysis where they can set a baseline for what normal user activity looks like. And then with it, when there's a deviation from that baseline, they have a, a security professional or a person with an understanding of the environment go investigate that particular event. We refer to those as investigative leads. The goal is not to have a hard one-to-one -one match, this is evil, 
but it's really to generate a number of anomalies that could potentially uh, result in a security event or the discovery of a breach, uh, but could also just be um, regular run-of-the-mill business-level activity. Um, by the same token, I also recommend that customers become a little bit more familiar with what their network topology looks like. And typically, we rely on technologies like NetFlow, which is really just uh, a graph of how the, the, the network traffic is flowing through the network. Um, and there again, we're able to look for deviations from the norm and investigate those. And last but not least, uh, a keen understanding of what the attackers do is going to enable both private and public sector to generate investigative leads based on log data. As an example, and this is an example that I give quite a bit, if a, a threat detection analyst uh, detects that a unnamed scheduled task has been created across the network, for me that is always an indication that something should be uh, investigated there. And again, I refer to investigative leads quite often, uh, but that is just one example of an indicator of compromise that may or may not be legitimate, but is definitely worth investigating. Well, Wade, that's excellent insight. I appreciate your time and your thoughts today. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me today. The topic has been threat detection and response, what government can learn from enterprise. I've been speaking with Wade Woolwine, manager with Rapid7 Global Services. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.